Hello and welcome to NDA, the show where I guess I argue with creators about the creator economy. My name is Dave Wiskus, and I am here to, uh, I don't know, argue with smart internet people. Or maybe not argue, but just have conversations with them. I am here today with my friend, Rowan Francis, who's not only a YouTuber, but also a doctor. Rowan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm having some heart problems. Can you help me? I'm afraid I cannot dispense medical advice over <laughs> Zoom. Is that actually a thing? You're not allowed to do that? No, you can actually. I mean, tele telemedicine has really exploded, especially during the pandemic. Yeah, I was going to say, pretty sure I did some Zoom doctor things. I don't think I'd be licensed to treat you in the US no. as no. I don't have a license to practice there. I do remember one time we were in we were in London and uh, I, we were out at something, we were drinking and my heart started <laughs> racing and I'm like, am I going to be okay? And you're like, you're fine. And you were right. Yeah. I was fine. So uh, good work. I, I swear, 80% of being a doctor is just telling people it's fine. You just got to make sure you're right, though. Well, you know, the 20%, the they don't come back. So, you know, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. How do you think about the differences between your internet life and your doctor life? Hmm. I don't know if I've ever been asked that before. Um, I mean, I guess I don't see a major difference, really. For me, YouTube... Nebula, the whole sort of online content creation is, is in a way a part of what I consider my career now. So I think they blend in fairly seamlessly. And, um, you know, I do keep a bit of separation because I, I enjoy having YouTube as a, and effectively as a, as a hobby that gets my mind off the, the day job. And particularly in the last few years, you know, work has been quite stressful. And yeah. uh, so I've I've really appreciated it. So a lot of people ask me, oh, you know, how do you have time to to do this? But actually, I, I think it keeps me sane. You know, it's it's really nice to have that creative outlet. So I don't feel that they they um, uh, clash or anything like that. Um, but they are increasingly becoming intermixed, and I'm I'm getting a lot of, you know, I mean, my whole career has kind of changed direction as a result of of. Uh, what we do. So it definitely um, has had a major effect. So for you, what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is that it's kind of one job and these are just different parts of your day. Yeah, I think I think that's maybe practically that isn't the case. They are quite separate. But in my head, that's that's how I think about it. Yeah. So you're you're sort of a, a, I don't want to say an anomaly, but you're in you're in a minority amongst the YouTuber creator folks that that I spend most of my time chatting with, because you still do have primary responsibilities outside of the things that you make on the internet, and I don't want this to be uh, one of those where do you get your ideas shows, but I am interested that that must paint a different picture for you of what the creator economy means versus somebody who is solely reliant on YouTube or Patreon or their uh, their parasocial fandom as a source of income. YouTube could get nuked from orbit tomorrow and you still have a job. If that literally happened, you'd probably have quite a bit of extra work. <laughs> you really do have a whole other thing going on. This can be, and you say you, you try to regard it as a hobby, that's not the case for everybody. As we think through these things, as we explore, I'm, I'm really interested in that perspective. 
I was just talking to Jordan Herod a few days ago uh, on on an episode of this, and she, of course, is getting uh, was it dual PhDs from Harvard and MIT or some crazy shit. So like, <laughs> not everybody has this as their main gig. That I get, but for for folks like you or Jordan, where you're you're performing at such a high level or you're doing things that are are extremely highly skilled, highly specialized, to come at the 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 YouTube stuff, what is even attractive about that for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do always try and bear in mind that I am in quite a privileged position when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And and certainly, I, I mean, I really enjoy having met uh, all, all the our mutual friends who, as you say, majority of whom are full-time content creators in sort of one aspect or another. And I, I mean, I've just enjoyed getting away from medics because generally doctors are, are very boring. I like seeing things from different perspectives and, and always try and remember that that exactly as you say, you know, I am quite lucky that this isn't my primary source of income. So if I feel a certain way about a certain thing or practice that tends to be prevalent on YouTube, I, I try and remember that actually these are people's livelihoods and, you know, I, I never try to be too judgmental about things. But yeah, I think it gives me a little bit of separation. I can take a step back and often I'm a little bit uncomfortable with many aspects of, of social media. And I think, I mean, you, you were asking sort of what, what the attraction is, sort of one I mentioned earlier about it just being a nice way to get my mind off off other things. But I, you know, all the other reasons that, that people um, get into it, just to be able to communicate ideas or explain things, to be able to, I mean, I guess now, if, if I'm um, entirely honest, I, you know, I am seeing it as a sort of way to branch out into into a whole sort of additional side career as as a kind of science communicator type person. So I think all the usual things that attract me to it, but yeah, I don't have to have that additional pressure that it is my livelihood. Do you worry about the ways in which that might negatively affect you? You say that you've got your your thoughts about the parasocial side of this. Tell me about that. Tell me about like how do you how do you see that relationship and what are you worried about? I mean, I think there are Things that are commonly talked about in in YouTube circles about sort of the perils of parasocial um, relationships, and you know normally that is when I chat to you know most of the people I know are in the kind of educational space. It's something that other people do. It's like oh, it's one, it's the vloggers and you know the the family channels and all these kinds of people who really open up their lives. But actually, you know everything has a parasocial element to it, and I find it a little amusing sometimes that people can compartmentalize the parasocial problematic stuff as something that other people do, but then lean into a lot of the things that encourage those same parasocial tendencies. And I'm just as guilty as anybody myself. You know, I never try and make the channel about me. I, I don't really talk about myself very often, but, you know, I'm, I'm aware that people are watching the channel uh, where I'm not saying information they can't find elsewhere, perhaps, but, you know, they're coming for my personality or whatever. And then, you know, the one time I mentioned um, my wife, which was during the pandemic and she'd become unwell with COVID, you know, I was a bit taken aback how many people were sort of quite invested in sort of asking me how my wife is. And, and I just thought, oh, this is all a bit weird. So, you know, I just find sometimes that it's very easy to fall into these kind of behaviors, which can inadvertently encourage that that parasocial interaction. 
And sometimes it's even encouraged, you know, you know, that a lot of the stuff about the creator economy is about leveraging your sort of relationship with the audience in terms of converting sponsors and, and essentially increasing revenue. This is exactly one of those moments that I mentioned earlier where I have to take a step back and say, hey, you know, I don't want to be too too judgmental because these are people's business. These, these are people's livelihoods and they've got employees and things like that. But there is this little part of me that is a little, you know, just worried. So let me give you an example. I'm, I'm being a bit vague. In the medical circle here, it's, I mean, I've kind of joke with medical students that uh, it's become mandatory for a final year London medical student to uh, to have a YouTube channel because it just seems like every single medical student I meet and I teach um, is on YouTube. So this has, I mean, been quite amusing because occasionally they'll they'll know who I am, but they are mostly just kind of wrapped up in in their in their channel and and doing all the things that they feel they need to do. If I'm brutally honest, the average medical student isn't that interesting. And the only thing that's really interesting <laughs> interesting about them is what they're doing. You know, people are interested in medicine. Right. A lot of people want to go into medicine and aspirational career. And I know that if I had got on the internet when I was that age, I, I wouldn't have anything that interesting to say. And, I, you know, if I do now, it's just come with age. <laughs> when you don't have a great deal to say, what do you lean into? You lean into the things that you know, people are interested in. So that it seems logical to open up your, like a, you know, a day in the life. That's the classic kind of genre for a lot of these channels or junior doctors that, you know, follow me around the hospital. This is what I do on the ward. And that's great. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people get benefit from that. And a lot of budding medical students and stuff like that will enjoy those videos or people just curious about the medical profession. I mean, it's it's always been popular on TV and, and so on. But I do worry that some of these um, people are very young and they're really living a lot of their life in quite a public manner. And I just think yeah. a lot of that has long-term effects that they may not sort of be aware of now. And, you know, they may regret being quite so open with, with their lives and not necessarily putting themselves in the same category as the, the the sort of vloggers and lifestyle channels when, if in effect, they have a lot of the same characteristics. I live in New York City and I live near a, a tourist trap thing. Uh, I don't think I'm parasocial enough for it to be problematic for me to say what it is. Also, New York's a pretty densely populated area. Uh, I live near, it's called The Vessel in a place right. called Hudson Yards. There's this great big sort of like beehive looking, spaceship looking sort of thing that incidentally people keep jumping off of. So they had to close it a few times. I think it's still closed. And I walk by there every day to go to the gym and every day. I see the exact same picture. A young woman, well-dressed in a very specific way, standing and posing in front of it for photos. And one day I went to the gym and I could see from the window, I look down and I see these, these two women, probably mid-20s. One of them was taking photos of the other, like standing up on a platform with this thing behind her. And then a little while later, I walk past that same window and I see they're still out there and they're still taking the same picture. Hmm. And then a little while later, I walk by again, same scene. It was over an hour. You got to get the perfect shot. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what could you possibly be doing differently? This is definitely going on Instagram or TikTok, probably Instagram. Yeah. Almost certainly. What detail... <laughs> for like, have you opened Instagram lately? It's like you scroll through 40 ads to see a picture of somebody you kind of know. Mm. There's no 
I, I don't I don't know what level of engagement someone's getting out of this photo that it has to be that perfect. But even if it does, every day I see that same thing happen three or four times on my way to the gym, three or four times on my way back from the gym, or if I'm walking to the subway, or if I'm going to a restaurant over there, it's all the same thing. One day I was walking by and I see, I just see a woman standing there, very well dressed, sort of staring off into the middle distance, standing behind a car. And my very first thought was, I guarantee you as I come around this car, there's a guy with a camera kneeling on the ground. <laughs> and sure enough, I come around and there's the guy, uh, probably a, a friend or boyfriend, kneeling on the ground, taking a photo of her with the vessel behind her. And I just think to myself, when did we hit a point where everyone everywhere is constantly in a state of performing their own life for an audience of people who are going to scroll past it in under a second and not give a shit? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I think that's a, that's a good phrase, isn't it? Performing your own life. Mm -hmm. I guess if some people say that's the appeal of TikTok and Be Real and things like that, that they are rejecting that notion where they're, they're very polished, perfect lives on Instagram. Is that something that you've heard as well? I'm I'm not familiar with Be Real, but I've kind of looked at TikTok a little. I've never even heard of Be Real. Is it no? Am I saying am I saying the uh, the name wrong? Is it? I think it's Be Real. I think that's the correct name. Is is it B E R E A L or is it B hyphen R E E L? Maybe this is why I haven't heard of it. Dave, it's the most downloaded social media app. Okay. Yeah. Oh dear. Okay. I thought you were the expert in the creator economy here. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't know that I would claim that. My area of expertise, I, I feel, is fairly localized to a specific kind of thing. That's good. Yeah. Hey, Eric, could you could you explain what Be Real is to us and how to spell it? Yes. So Be Real is spelled B-E-R-E-A-L with the B and the R capitalized. It's a uh, French app that came out uh, a few years ago, mm. and it kind of blew up in the last six to nine months, I feel like. But basically, the premise mm. is, if I understand correctly, you basically get pinged at one random minute during the day. And I think you have 10 to 15 minutes to take a picture. It actually works like Casey Neistat's Beam, where it takes a front-facing and back-facing picture at the same time. And you're only allowed to see your friend's reels if you also submit one. So the whole premise is every 24 hours, everyone stops what they're doing and takes a moment or takes a picture in this exact moment. And then you get to see what all your friends did. You know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like Clubhouse. I can see why this is popular for a minute and then everyone's going to get tired of it. It seems like it's not going to have much longevity, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, I, who's got time for this every day? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have time for this shit. Unemployed people and kids. Yeah. Yeah, when the robots take all the jobs, I guess this is what we're all going to do. Yeah. Look, my, my, my point with the performing your life thing is I think there's a difference. I'm guilty of using these words somewhat interchangeably, but there's a difference between an influencer and a creator. When somebody is an influencer, they stand in front of the same fucking statue that a billion other people have stood in front of and get their picture taken as if they're the first to do it and nobody cares. They have no real influence but they, they put that label on themselves. And if they can get an audience, they feel validated. Whereas that audience probably doesn't really think about them at all. Mm. A creator is somebody who puts time into making a thing that people can sit down, take in, and have thoughts about. 
and th this is not I'm not trying to offer clinical definitions, but like the way I think about it is an Instagram influencer is ephemeral by design. They're disposable mm -hmm. by design. And I worry about this with TikTok. And we're, we're seeing some people come out of TikTok who are uh, uh, making interesting things. But it seems like by and large, most of those people are turning to YouTube uh, asking, how can I how can I go make longer form stuff that's going to matter and I can actually make money at it? TikTok doesn't seem like a, a great path to, to revenue right now. Maybe that'll change. Maybe maybe shorts will will be that gateway drug. I don't know. It is interesting to me. There's a personality type that wants to be famous for existing or for being pretty or for having a cool life. And then there's a personality type that wants to make interesting and impactful things. And when I think of creator uh, or, or the, the sort of person within the creator economy that I'm most interested in serving or working with or building tools for, it's definitely the creator type, not the influencer type. I mean, I, th I think you preempted what I was going to say with your last point there, that I think you are slightly biased in the in in who you know. Oh, of course, yeah. And likewise, but I I don't think that dis distinction is always clear. And you know, may maybe on YouTube it can be a bit more pigeonholed. But uh, I think TikTok and Instagram, Instagram, I think yeah, sure, you're you're definitely leaning much more towards the influencer end of the spectrum. But somewhere like TikTok, which you you hinted at as well yourself, you know, there are some really talented people on there making very impressive educational or just just fun stuff but i think there is a, a big gray zone or you know crossover between influencer and, and creator that that uh, i think you know we can all fall into that trap and you start to pay more attention to these maybe slightly more superficial aspects and there are examples we can think of who are definitely in the creator bucket and there are others and definitely in the influencer, but there's clearly a, a lot of merging of the two. You know, obviously I am very pro content creation, video making, YouTube. I, I, I think it's great. And I'd always encourage people if they want to give it a try, I can go on record here and say, I think my only real regret in life, I'm, I'm, I'm generally someone who doesn't have any of these, is that I wish I'd started sooner. That's my big thing that I would change. I just, I wish I'd got on earlier. So I'd always encourage people if they want to give it a try, but to link it back to the parasocial aspects, I think, you know, particularly at that young age, you might feel or have intentions to be a content creator, but end up maybe even subconsciously being a bit more of an influencer. <laughs> Anyone you have in mind when you say things like that? I'm lots of people. I mean, we're probably yeah. thinking of, of yeah. some of the some of the same, but honestly, loads. There is very much a, a formula that seems to be popular at the moment, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm well aware that I'm in my own little blinkered world of of medics and uh, sort of that. Those are the people I tend to sort of follow. But I, science in general, there are a lot of um, science creators and, and stuff that I just see what's going on, and there there is this kind of formula at the moment of you know you you look at a lot of the successful ones and they're young, good looking, and you can't necessarily separate that from the influencer aspect. So I just think we can maybe kid ourselves a little bit, all of us, that that we aren't at least having a bit of that influencer side and also leaning into some of these parasocial kinds of strategies, particularly when it comes to things like Patreon and, and so on. Yeah, when I when I think of the the influencer trap, uh, I'm thinking of you pointed out like med students making videos. When you're the first person to do a thing, 
you're breaking ground, you have something to say that hasn't been heard before. When you're the millionth person to do something, what are you adding? Exactly, yeah. So I look at um, our friend Simon Clark. He came up as a vlogger at Oxford showing off like his experience as a student going through getting a PhD. He had something to say that had not been done a million times before. And I realized that med school is a different sort of thing. But now when I look at like the sea of people who are are making productivity content while going through med school and trying to build that, some of whom are friends and folks that we work with, the folks that we work with, we do so because we hear something interesting in that voice. But I'm looking at it a sea and I'm thinking, how do we make sure that this voice is heard when there is so much signal out there that is indistinguishable from noise? Yeah, exactly. And that's almost exactly what I tell a lot of these these kids. You know, I, I do think of them. I'm, I'm mm. you know, a, a, a lot uh, further down the line. <laughs> Old man. Yeah, I, I am. I definitely feel like it when I'm around with the YouTube crowd. But, you know, you kind of were suggesting if I had anyone in mind, a lot of these young medical students and junior doctors, they want to be Ali Abdul. Mm -hmm. And particularly the, the young guys, they really idolize him. And that's great. It's really wonderful that he's inspired so many people. And obviously, you and I know Ali well, and he really is a force of nature. Like um, I, I met up with him quite recently, and it's always great fun listening to the stuff he's getting up to. But I do have to try and tell some of these people that not everybody can be Ali Abdul. And do you want to be or do you want to be yourself? So what are you adding? If you're, as you say, you're, you're the 10,000th med school vlog channel. You're not even the first in your year group in your university. Like I, I've, I've met several other <laughs> in your exact batch. So what are you bringing? What sort of different thing? Now, that's not always easy to answer. And for me, I very much kind of had that thought process that I was going to try and, you know, bring sort of comedy and a slightly different take. I mean, one of the sort of founding intentions I had with the channel is to try and make videos that I didn't feel would be found anywhere else. So I didn't want to start doing, you know, what is a heart attack or what is diabetes kind of videos because you can get them anywhere. So I was going to try and do something a bit different. But like I say, it took me a few years to kind of find find that voice. But the counterpoint to that, to be fair, to sort of take the other perspective, is that a lot of these channels will enjoy a little bit of success. Um, they, they won't necessarily become million plus channels, but they'll get maybe a, a few hundred thousand subscribers and they'll just tick along nicely. And for them, you know, maybe that's that's all they're after. And, and it's a nice additional revenue stream. You know, we, we started off by talking about full time jobs and, and doing YouTube on the side. I think what's becoming quite common now, particularly with uh, medicine across many countries, because if we're considering the US and, and the UK, the pandemic certainly has been a factor. Med medicine has become quite a even more stressful job than it uh, used to be. And a lot of people are thinking about alternatives. So thinking about sort of different careers. And I think it's now quite common for junior doctors to come out of medical school with an eye on something else. And some are very deliberately going down the influencer route. You know, they are going on TV programs in medical school. They are essentially just standard in Instagram influencers, and they use the medical thing as additional cachet, as, as a sort of badge badge of honor. And then, you know, the problematic side of that is it can often lean into appeals to authority and they can end up promoting unsavory things. That's a slightly different topic. But, you know, if we think more about YouTube, I think a lot of these 
people are maybe considering a part-time medical career or to be what we call doing locum jobs. So you're, you're like a freelancer, you're a freelance doctor, you'll take shifts here and there on your own schedule. And you can then have a, a side career doing whatever you want, YouTube, podcasts. So I think that's no bad thing. That, that's great. And I also wouldn't want to judge someone who does absolutely want to go down that sort of personality-driven influencer route because, you know, ultimately medical school and, and a medical degree does open some doors. And I can't sit here all high and mighty and say that, you know, doctors should only do serious things and they can't leverage their credentials for any reason. But again, I feel like I've kind of <laughs> gone down some random tangent here. It started by saying sort of what additional thing or what new thing you can offer. But I think that is still good advice and, and something that I do try and tell a lot of these uh, people who, who want to emulate their heroes. We've sort of mentioned Ali a couple of times here, Ali Abdal, Nebula creator, friend of ours. When I think of Ali, the, the, it's interesting to look at his trajectory because he went from being like med student talking about his experience to going down the, the sort of Thomas Frank path of productivity porn. <laughs> you can see the influences he's drawing from a little bit of Thomas Frank, a little bit of Dr. Mike, a little bit of Graham Stephan. And when you look at like the part-time YouTuber Academy, and when you look at the videos he makes about his apartment or how he lives or how much money he makes, the thing that is interesting to me, my intent here is not to pass any kind of judgment, not, not on Ali. I'm not really talking about him, but I do think that there is a responsibility that we have when we have an audience of a certain size or a certain type. And if your audience is primarily young people who want to be you or be like you mm. and you're you're selling classes on how to be more like you or you're making videos about how much you have or how much you make and showing off your success there's a a level of performance there that is designed to attract those people to to be attached to you when you do that how much responsibility do you then have to that audience to I don't know, ensure their safety. Maybe that's the wrong way to say it. But like, are you telling a complete story or are you giving them all of the information they would need? Most of the people who look at Ali and dream of being like him or living his kind of life, uh, they may not have a complete picture of everything that that entails, good and bad. It isn't fun or sexy necessarily to I mean, it can be it can be content to show off like I had a really bad day. Here's what my worst day is like. That could be a video. But it's all that sort of mundane in-between stuff or like the real hassles. As somebody who runs a company, there are plenty of days that are really difficult, but not in a way that would be interesting to tell other people about. How do you represent that to others in a way that, that isn't irresponsible? And again, this is not really about Ali. It's more about like that kind of thing. When we are in this position, how do we tell our stories honestly and sincerely? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe a response to that, not necessarily what my view would be, but if I had to reply to sort of question what you're saying there is, is it somebody's duty? I mean, if, if someone has become very successful, just kind of making videos about different aspects of their life without trying to be duplicitous, not sort of lying or anything, but just being selective with what they're, they're saying. Sure. Is it their duty to 
inform their audience that this is a highlight reel or <laughs> is is that something that an audience should be aware of themselves i mean is that sort of a just a basic understanding of of so, how social media works yeah i don't know and maybe the difference here like you show off parts of being a doctor you talk about your experiences how much of your time is spent selling things to people selling parts of that experience i was talking to thomas about this on i think what is now the most current episode uh, out on the public feed when it is easy to group you in with other bad actors and thomas gets this all the time uh we even saw a, a few days ago we, we did this um video for for darren aronofsky he's promoting a, a new book and we did a creators interrogate thing where a bunch of youtubers this it's set up as a zoom call and they're all asking him questions about the book and then Thomas at the end is asking, like, what kind of productivity tools do you use? You know, very on brand for him. And somebody, I forget where it was in the comments or, or yeah, it was on the, the YouTube comments. Somebody said, who let this like Gary V productivity lifestyle salesman onto this thing? No way. And that's not really fair to Tom. That's not what he does. But you can totally see why somebody would think that. Yeah, sure. You can totally see why he would get grouped in with that. And so what he and I were talking about was, is it good or bad to be grouped in in that way? And I think what I'm the the way I'm contextualizing Ali is he's he's just sort of like the most successful ideal of the kind of thing we're talking about. So can't stress enough. Love Ali, not picking on him, but as an avatar for this kind of thing, it is easy to group him in with bad actors. And if that is the case, if there are bad actors, what makes the bad actors bad? You as a doctor and as a as a creator, what level of responsibility do you see as being inherent to having an audience at that scale? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe an analogy to this that I could draw on from personal experience is I don't think I ever really glamorize being a doctor at all, but I do sometimes. Really? No, I don't think I do. I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't make sort of videos about I've, I did one kind of sort of video about what my job is like during the pandemic because I just thought it was quite interesting all the COVID stuff early on but otherwise I don't really talk about my job especially but I, I do sort of think about this when I get comments of like oh I really want to be a doctor and this is really inspirational and I want to be a cardiologist and stuff like that and I sometimes feel like you know I hope people aren't going into medicine because of me, because I'm not sure I'd recommend anybody to go into medicine. And it's probably something I'm not going to be keen for my kids to do, at least not the way things are at the moment and not in this country. Maybe things will change by the time they're going to university quite a way away. I mean, I've actually just pulled out of a course I've been teaching on for a few years to high school students where I would talk about something medical, but it was all essentially these, these kids all want to get into medical school. And I just don't feel comfortable doing that anymore. I just didn't feel like I wanted to be encouraging um, people to study medicine when, when I feel like there are lots of other things they can do. So maybe that's slightly analogous in terms of um, depicting or at least not wanting to depict an unrealistic expectation of a certain thing. And when it comes to medics and content creation and, and this kind of factory of, of everybody starting their own channels and everything. The one main deprogramming thing I've got to do is to say, I mean, now you're going to get me started on productivity, which I've always struggled with the whole kind of toxic aspect of, of the whole productivity world. 
and you've mentioned Thomas, and he's the he's the one fly in the ointment because I can't possibly say anything bad about Thomas because he is just you know he absolutely walks the walk. I know, and he's just such a lovely guy. And I actually really liked that episode prior to this one because it was really nice to hear him say that you know he's really excited and enjoying the the new channel and kind of himself had got a bit bored of that. Uh, how many? times can I make a video kind of just saying get up on time and I just mentioned him because because I absolutely don't want to tar him with this brush but that whole world I've always found you know really kind of teaching even if the people themselves making the videos or, or doing the courses um, have the best of intentions they surely are aware that a lot of people are developing counterproductive habits from what they're teaching and, and not really coming away with the right ideas. And so the number one thing I've got to deprogram with these medical students is I'm saying you don't have to be productive all the time. You're students, you know, go out, party, do some illegal things, have fun. Like you're at university and, and they just look at me like, wait, you mean I, you know, like they just don't get it. They don't, they don't think I'm talking any sense. They've been conditioned into thinking you've got to be you know, maximize it. I've, I've had like 19, 20 year olds telling me that they are going home to work on their passive revenue streams and um, side flexes oh, and side, side. And, and I'm like, well, well, you know, what happened? Just, just enjoy. And <laughs> also, you know, while I've, I've sort of uh, been a bit negative about the medical profession as a career in 2022, the subject matter, I, I still love. I mean, I mean that's kind of the the primary focus of the channel. I, I love medical science. I love talking about it and learning about it. So I want these students as well to get that benefit from, from medical school. And I feel that if they're just worrying about converting their placement on my ward into a, a vlog, rather than actually just getting out, meeting patients and not thinking about how can I turn this into some kind of moment and just actually enjoy medical school, but I, it's it's almost ubiquitous now. I just get so many people thinking that they've got to be productive the whole time, and you know things have changed since I was at I was at medical school. You know, about twenty years ago now, and it's more expensive these days, and and there are different pressures on on uh, Generation Z as we call them here. The Zoomers. The Zoomers that I didn't experience. So I you know I don't want to at all suggest that I understand everything that's that that they're going through. But I I do really feel like. I want to encourage that sense of fun. And sometimes I feel like that productivity mindset, Sigma male or grind set, all that kind of stuff, I, I just, I've always struggled with it. So people see me as, you know, someone reasonably successful and, and doing things that they want to do. And I, I do always try to tell them, like, I'm not one of these people. I, I'm completely disorganized. I don't, I, I don't know what Notion is. I tried to look at it once and it, 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 it confused me completely. And um, I've never journaled. I can set you up with a, a Zoom call with Thomas. He can walk you right through it. I mean, I bet he, I bet he will. He'll be very persuasive if anybody can. Mm -hmm. um, but I just feel like, you know, that's great. I'm, I'm not attacking any, any of that, but, but I feel like that's not the only way to achieve the goals you want to achieve. And just because some people you've seen online do those things, it doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. So I try and offer this slightly different perspective, but I am kind of long in the tooth and, you know, the senior most rank of, of doctor. So I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. So I'm not sure that they necessarily see anything that they want to aspire to there. But you make it sound like you're a hundred years old. 
Yeah, I think I'm a little bit younger than you, actually, Dave. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you saying, buddy? <laughs> I feel like you're calling me old now. Uh, you're well, We're both old in, in internet terms, for sure. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I remember a life before the internet. That makes me ancient. Uh, I also spend most of my time having conversations with people who are in their mid-20s to mid-30s and who are making a dump truck full of money off of mm. these parasocial connections. So in every direction, my thoughts on this are I have my own feelings about what it means, and then I feel a responsibility to these creators, yourself included, Thomas included, Ali included, to ensure that the path forward is as sustainable as possible. There are really smart people making really interesting things. And I do think that there are uh, both bad actors and naive children. And I don't I don't mean that in the it probably sounds way more condescending than I mean it. But there are people who look up to creators not realizing that what they're idolizing is a lottery winner. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. We have this survivor bias. I'm surrounded by people who have succeeded in this industry. So it's hard for me to fully contextualize what failure looks like. I don't see it every day. Hashtag humble brag. But there's a, a I don't want to say a dark side, but there's there's another there's another angle on all of this that I want to give some thought to, which is if we're putting out there, do these things, you can be like us. How likely is it that they will be? And like, let, let's be brutally honest. Nebula has classes. We sell this. We literally sell do what I do. Yeah. But I want to make sure that there's no implicit or explicit promise of if you do this, you'll have my level of success. Most of these classes are designed and positioned as so like with masterclass, you can uh, nobody watches Samuel L. Jackson's acting class thinking that they're going to become a Hollywood star. It's more part of it is aspirational and part of it is topic interest. You want to see how the sausage is made and all of these things are fine. Not everyone who watches I don't know, Sam's class on persuasive communication is going to end up becoming a successful persuasive communicator and starting a YouTube empire the way that he has. And that is okay. But what is the line? Are we, as a community, as an industry, are we doing enough to telegraph that there's no magic button that you can press to become a mega successful influencer? I, I just don't know what that button would look like. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a really tough one because while I totally agree that it can give misleading expectations, I also don't think necessarily the onus should be on the creators. I, you know, with the aforementioned proviso that uh, obviously I wouldn't advocate misleading, but I think if you've got a very successful creator who makes a class, which is, say, in that kind of gray area that it isn't necessarily completely practical class, like, it, you know, how to make a table where it's kind of irrelevant who is teaching it, or it's not completely on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, uh, you know, how to be like me. Mm -hmm. If somebody makes a class, so, you know, the one that I've been hoping to do for Nebula classes, which uh, my main enemy is is time, but, you know, I've, I've structured the whole thing and- Because you're so old. Uh, time is running out for me. I'm counting down <laughs> the weeks. Yeah, exactly. Death draws ever nearer. Um, <laughs> but I actually just did a, an interview with, uh, with a guy last week uh, who's a longevity 
scientist. Oh. So uh, we were talking about, you know, living to, living to 150 and 200, and he's he's assuring me that it's right around the corner. So you never know. Hopefully not too far around the corner. Well, you it, the, the expression he had was, you got to live long to live longer because to, yeah. to get that technology. Yeah. I'll take all the future I can get. We'll, we'll still be cranking out content as a 150-year-old <laughs> in the metaverse. Fuck. Uh, so <laughs> what was I talking about? The class that you want to do. The class I want to do, right. So it's going to be hopefully giving some genuine, useful information. But I'm aware that other people have talked about stuff like this before, but normally in sort of academic settings. So why would somebody go to my class rather than, you know, look up a medical website and, and find the kind of same information? It is definitely going to be because of my profile on YouTube or something. And, and, and that's, that's going to be part of it. So I'd be very hypocritical if I, if I was to say that that isn't something that you should use at all, because I can't sit here and honestly say that the information contained in my course is completely novel that nobody has ever said in, ever in the world before. It's going to be culmination of, of my career. So, you know, it's going to ugh, culmination. That sounds like I'm going to retire. I'd love to retire, but that I don't think I can. It's going to be uh, uh, based on my experience and everything so far. And people are only aware of that as, you know, I, I'm no different to any other cardiologist, uh, but people are only aware of me because of the stuff I, I do online. So to answer your question, I, I just don't know what that, that, uh, that line between trying to explain to people that this is an artificial world. And as you said, there's things like survivorship bias, that people who have been successful aren't necessarily representative of the ways to become successful. They just were lucky. And I guess all we can do is try and be honest with our advice. But, you know, a lot of these kind of uh, VidCon YouTube events you go to, the, the talks are the same old stuff again and again. And, and they're not particularly useful. They're just saying, oh, you know, be yourself. And yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. that's good advice. I mean, I absolutely would say be yourself, but it doesn't necessarily help someone understand why this person succeeded and this person didn't. So I was at a, an event a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jordan and I talked about it. It's a thing for video creators, YouTubers. And uh, I gave a talk there and I was in the room for the panel that was before me. And I heard... I don't know who he was. I, I think he was somebody. But he's like an early 20s, physically fit white dude with like sort of blonde curly hair, leaned way back in his seat, holding the microphone like he did not give a fuck about anything in the world. And his advice to the audience was, good artists borrow, great artists steal. <laughs> so if you see somebody else make a good video, just make that same video. Who cares? steal their idea, just make that video, do it better than them. But like, that's a good, you don't have to come up with your own ideas, just steal other people's. And I walked out of the room. I mean, I've, I've had countless people suggest that. I've, I've even heard a tale of people building tools to analyze YouTube as a, as a thing, to find channels that had a low average view count, but one video that hit like a million, two million views. Oh, that's so sneaky. Yeah. Like this one was a clear outlier. Let's just go remake that video. Let's let's use that as the starting point. Oh. And I don't know, like nobody owns facts, I guess. So if it's an explainer video, maybe. But I don't know, something about that feels super gross to me. 
are we just out of ideas? Are we creatively bankrupt that this is what we have to do to fight for clout? I don't think we're out of ideas, but I think there are a lot of people that don't have any. And <laughs> there are just altogether way too many creators. I don't know what the stats are uh, about how many people have a channel versus how many actually cross, say, a thousand subscribers. I think it's a tiny proportion, right? From YouTube, I can say more channels earned their silver play buttons last year than any year prior. Every year, more and more channels earn their silver play buttons. So there are more successful creators now than there ever have been. Absolutely, which is great. And I very much care about the potential for this to be a viable career and, and um, you know, the, the creator economy as it's referred to. But that wasn't quite what I was saying is, is not how many are reaching that milestone, but how many don't? You know, what proportion reach out of all the ones that try? Oh, the ratio. The ratio. I see. I see. Oh, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think it's actually tiny. So there are a lot of people trying to make content. So inevitably, there's going to be a, exactly that sort of unimaginative. See, I mean, we don't, you know, we, we're all familiar with the kind of content farm, awful ripoff channels, but, but even individuals, I guess this kind of loops back to the whole conversation about sort of emulating your heroes. This is perhaps why I've got maybe a slightly different perspective. I came from a journalism background. So that was an, originally my intention was to be a, a print journalist. And, and that's what I started doing at sort of university level. And I was writing quite a bit. And so for me, YouTube is essentially like a video version of an article I would write for a magazine and, and structured in the same way as well. So I look at it as a sort of you know, news kind of, uh, or features kind of a writer. Whereas maybe I don't necessarily think of content in the same way as, as people who have grown up very native to online platforms like YouTube. So for me, I would absolutely say the opposite of running out of ideas. I've got a, a list of video ideas that is num into the several hundreds now that I hope to get around to one day. But I think on the whole, there are so many people that want to make it on YouTube that don't necessarily have that many ideas of their own. I mean, look how many people want to be Mr. Beast. You know, every kid these days is just thinks that's the way to do it. And I know, you know, we've talked about this kind of thing before. Also a lottery winner. Like he, he got his start by winning money yeah. that he then gave away. Yeah, yeah. He literally won the money. Yeah. I mean, again, I guess there's, there's stuff to say there as well about sort of teaching, I don't want to say toxic, as that's kind of a, a strong word, but teaching unhealthy working patterns or the way he, he really almost killed himself in those early days, just trying to just bring out more and more stuff and, and always up the ante, that a lot of people, it's not going to be healthy for them to, to do exactly that, that kind of thing. Two of the people we've talked about today, which I, again, just because we've mentioned them and, and there are kind of interesting parallels, uh, Simon Clark and Ali both have had periods where they were vlogging. And Simon, I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm saying anything that um, wouldn't be apparent just from looking at the channel, has clearly moved away from that content. And I really love his, his uh, videos now. And they are really, you know, proper science videos. He's really explaining some quite academic concepts. And 
you know, I, I'm I'm making assumptions here, but I think that brings him more satisfaction than than the kind of vlog style stuff. And Ali had a period where he was doing more vlog videos, which I think he's also moved away from. I, I can't speak to his intentions there, but I think they both realized that they would be happier doing other kinds of content. And sometimes the audience wants more of that content that the creators want to move away from. So they want more of that kind of vlog stuff. They want more of knowing who they're dating or what they're doing and this, that, and the other. <laughs> and there is this pull to, you know, to try and do things that your audience wants uh, and balance that against what you want. And again, this this loops back to me saying that I'm in a privileged position, that, that I don't have to think about it as my main revenue source. But I think a lot of people do feel drawn towards what their their audience wants and you know we there are conversations to be had about audience capture and and going off the deep end and that's kind of not what i'm referring to but people making content that they know will be more successful where it isn't the thing that really brings them joy so what are your intentions right are you are you you know doing this as a career and it's just a job like any other job and you, you're just looking for a sort of steady paycheck that's fine. I mean, that's obviously a viable career as it should be. But then if it's just a job like anything else, then, you know, kind of why why do YouTube? Like the whole point in my mind is that it is this amazing career that allows you to just, you know, learn about things you want to learn. You want to learn how to use this video editing software, go and do that. You want to read about some serial killer in the 1980s and make a video essay about them, go, <laughs> go and do that. And it, it frees you to do whatever you want. So I feel a little sad when people start like that and then they get kind of stuck in a rut because that's what their audience wants. And if they try and push away from it, they get all these angry comments like, oh, what is this? Uh, oh, you know, I mean, shorts. When people try and experiment with the shorts and everyone goes, ah, you know, what is this? Uh, this channel sucks. And just Jesus Christ, just relax. You know, let, <laughs> let me do what I want to do. It's not your channel. If you don't want to watch, don't watch. And every time I feel like a creator gets sort of beholden to their audience, I feel like, I don't know, that that just makes me a little sad. The theme here is us sort of like, I don't know, if I were to write a one-act play based on this episode of NDA, I think I might cast us as like... Yeah, what a boring play. <laughs> like two, two old guys sitting at a cafe grumping about the, the world <laughs> around them. We're actually not that old, but, you know. <laughs> Waiting for Goddard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, relative to the YouTube community, we definitely have a bit more seasoning to us than, than some others. But maybe the reason I've taken you down this path of conversation and less about your own career, although that's interesting and informs it, the reason that it's so interesting for me to talk to you about this is because you are different from many of the folks that I talk to because you are an adult with a job. And I don't mean this as condescending as I'm sure it's going to sound, but there are a lot of very young and business inexperienced people in this industry. And mm -hmm. it is always mm -hmm. refreshing to get to speak to someone who has had real adult business and life experience when you're in a position for that to inform some of the decisions that you're making around the, the things that you create. I think that inherently that gives you a different perspective, but also uh, not just a, diff a different perspective on what you're creating, but a different perspective on the industry. And so with that in mind, 
how differently do you see yourself in the pantheon of creators, either by virtue of this not being your primary gig or not the biggest part of your primary gig, or by virtue of being a little bit older than a lot of the creators who are breaking out now versus the kind of content you make? Where do you see yourself in all of that? I mean, I, I guess if I'm honest, I do see myself a little at the peripheries, which is fine. You know, I, I feel like I found a, a really nice community with uh, all the Nebula folk. And as I said, I, I, I genuinely have been very excited to, to have this new career in the last few years because it is just quite interesting compared to all the humdrum medical stuff and meetings and things I go to. And, you know, it kind of makes me smile a little bit because I, I can see some of my friends well, actually, probably my frenemies rather than my friends, get a little bit... Uh, <laughs> I can see they're a little envious, you know, when I say I'm hanging out at Google headquarters and I'm comparing some YouTube event or I'm meeting various different YouTube stars that they're fans of. Uh, I can see that they're like, oh, I'm just going to a conference about stents and, <laughs> you know, that's pretty boring. Mm -hmm. um, so I love all that. And I very much see this as continuing to be a major part of my career as long as I can make it. And, and and I guess the one, you know, main thing when people ask me, would I ever go full time or would I leave medicine is that I'm aware it's quite ethereal and, you know, this may change hugely in the next few years. So I'm about three and a half years into kind of doing this seriously. I'm now thinking of trying to future proof in, in, in other ways. And up till now, I've just kind of felt like I've got limited amount of time and I just want to put all my eggs into just making YouTube videos. And now I, I do, I'm, you know, that's why I, I was thinking about the class, trying to do something differently and, you know, trying to branch out, not necessarily in the business sense, like diversing revenue streams and, and merch and things like that, which I haven't really considered, but just because I, I want this to be a, a fully formed thing rather than just a single track all eggs in one basket kind of approach and the sort of youtube community as a whole i you know I, I see myself as just a minnow but very much one that just kind of likes to soak it all up and and compared to all my peers i think i'm much more aware of things going on in the creator economy and social media than even a lot of people who are kind of involved i, I do follow the news quite closely and I find it interesting so there is probably a timeline where I do, you know, reduce my hours in, in medicine or even just, you know, quit my medical job entirely. Some of that's motivated by the job being less enjoyable than it used to be. I still really enjoy mm. getting my hands, well, I was going to say dirty, but that's probably not the, the right word, bloody, let's say. Um, I, I love all the, the kind of operative stuff. When you have blood on your hands. But exactly. Yeah. Just, just constantly walking around on my hands and my <laughs> conscience. And um, uh, I love, you know, I love doing that stuff, but the rest of it is, is you know, it's, it's stressful. And so I would have never even entertained that possibility before, but I think there is a potential. I think it's still less than 2% likelihood, but it's not out of the question. So absolutely, you know, I'm I'm fully committed, but I am now kind of just in that phase where I'm trying to see which direction I take this in. So 
this hasn't really answered your question in the slightest, has it? How do I see myself is a, 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 like a fairy flitting around <laughs> the, uh, the 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 big players, <laughs> but uh, you know, fairies. I, I don't know where this metaphor is going. They have some kind of magic, maybe. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> you had said something earlier about you wish you had started earlier. Absolutely. With the YouTube stuff. Mm. If you had, if you were to be given the opportunity to slide your own life timeline forward, be born later, and could make some decisions differently, or even be born at the same time and make decisions differently, in knowing what you know now, would you have chosen medicine or would you have picked this? Or do you think that they're, they're too uh, inextricably linked? I think I probably would have picked medicine again. Well, you said you wouldn't advise it. You said you you wouldn't want your kids to do it. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I, just stop calling out my hypocrisy here. Just uh, uh, let me have some internal contradictions. I, I'll tell you what, way into this episode, so, so I think now I, I can be quite arrogant uh, and hopefully uh, only people who who uh, are committed will have listened this far so they won't they won't judge me too much fair i hadn't thought of it that way you got to be you got to be really invested in this conversation to hear this part exactly yeah yeah so here it comes i think i'm just really good at medicine <laughs> and i think i'm i'm sort of naturally that's my thing when it comes to making videos i'm okay um <laughs> and you know I, I i don't think i'm anything super special but i think i i'm i'm a good doctor i feel like that is is my niche even within medicine, I think I'm quite atypical. I, I think I've always been a little bit, um, oh, whatever. I don't know. I've said I, I wasn't going to worry about being um, humble anymore. But I think I think I see things a little differently to to a lot of my colleagues. So I probably would have ended up in the same profession. But when I say I wish I'd started sooner, you know, I had a bit of filmmaking experience. I, w I actually won a national competition at university. I was in film festivals and things. And then just did nothing. I did absolutely nothing with it for, for years. Why not? Well, I tell myself that I just concentrated on the job and I was became a junior doctor and, and worked hard. And, and that's true. You know, I did do that, but I could have maintained some interest. And I look at the big science channels now who obviously are very good because they have maintained that, that success. And, you know, again, it comes back to luck and things like that as well. But the big science channels with many millions of, of followers, most of them started early. And that's not at all to say they're not good or that they're only successful because of longevity, that they are very good channels and make great videos. But I feel like if I had just got in a bit earlier on, then maybe it would have actually changed my career in a, a much more significant way. Because if it was at that kind of scale, then perhaps it would have made a decision to actually go down that route full time more feasible. Whereas now I think, you know, I, I know we've joked about age and everything, but I just feel like I'm not sure that's the right decision to be making at this point. And interestingly, people who have left medicine and, and gone into whether it's Instagram or YouTube or whatever, that will clearly benefit their career as they're intending it. But within medical circles, I think that does tend to lose your respect. And people tend to then chalk you up as, oh, you know, they're not a doctor anymore. They're not practicing or, uh, you know, they're, they're an influencer now, which may not be that important if your appeal is more generic skills or you're, you know, going into lifestyle advice or whatever. 
But I think if you are giving medical information, particularly if you are trying to position yourself as a, some sort of public intellectual or, or media doctor, then maintaining some professional links, I think, is part and parcel of your appeal. So I think when people leave, again, I think envy does motivate some of this stuff, but I think people within the medical profession can be quite disparaging. Whereas I think in my case, I mean, I clearly don't know what people are saying behind my back, and I'm sure it's all uh, very polite. But I think one criticism you can't leverage at me is that, that I'm, you know, removed from the medical world or, or anything like that. So uh, I think that is important in terms of maintaining credibility. Do you think that you need to be a good doctor to be a good internet doctor? No, not in the slightest. You've called out internet doctors for doing some weird shady crypto shit. I call out internet doctors all the time. There are all kinds of absolute grifters, mm -hmm. charlatans and jokers online. It's incredible. Like that's what really pisses me off. And this is why Instagram does my head in because that seems to be the, the hotbed and people just uh, go along with it. They're like, you know, oh, great. You know, that's wonderful. Clap emoji. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? I mean, this is this is this is just horseshit. What, what are you talking about? And I see it all the time. And again, you know, you were talking about sort of people at a stage in their life where they're maybe a bit naive or immature, jumping on a lot of these bandwagons. Where, and that crypto thing that you mentioned was a, you know, particularly uh, like nails on a chalkboard. It was kind yeah. of very cringy to, to watch. But there are so many quite shady things like medical products, supplements, alternative therapies. And, you know, even if you want to take the other side, there are a lot of uh, doctors who are very militant when it comes to what they regard as science and they sort of get very aggressive online and they, they attack people they think are being anti-science and they're like, you know, follow the science and do this and do that. And they don't really have a sound understanding of what they're talking about at all. And it's very tribal, you know, it's become mm -hmm. a very tribal kind of um, environment now. And the pandemic's only made this a million times worse. And people have seen huge audiences form talking about, covid related things and everyone goes oh you know that that doctor's so so great they're really really useful and i'm like from my lens just taking a step back they're just a clout chaser like anybody else yeah you know wh why are we why are we cutting s some slack for these people just because they've got an md behind their name or just because they are you know saying something that we deem to be agreeable or we think is is uh you know it suits our bias but let's be honest they are just clout chasers like anything else and a lot of people have dined out on that during the pandemic whether it's being the contrarian who's the the doctor that's willing to tell people that they don't have to get vaccine or don't have to get a mask or whether it's being the kind of super aggressive person who's calling out all the anti-covid people and just wear a mask, goddammit, and shouting at people and, and all this stuff. And like, you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers and followers and stuff have followed these people. And they've just been using COVID to, you know, develop this this big following and then they'll pivot into to something else. So, wow, what a what a rant you've taken. <laughs> oh, it's a, a left turn I've taken there. I think you've landed on something in here, though, that is... We're kind of going back to the, the responsibility angle. If people, you say clout chasing, I think that's 100% a real thing. I also think mm. that there's an element 
of main character syndrome. And I think there's an element mm -hmm. of people being so concerned with validation in either direction. I'm going to yes and you here. I think that the not only is it clout chasing, but both of those things are clout chasing where either my brand is I am part of this tribe and therefore I cannot thoughtfully critique anything anyone does because there's no nuance anymore. You can't give a little bit of a disagreement with somebody. It has to be 100% on the same page or your mortal enemies mm -hmm. on the internet. Yeah. So you you have to monetize one or the other. Either your brand is you're, you're in lockstep with everybody else and you're just happy and friendly and you always get along with everyone, or you're the contrarian who's constantly calling other people out. Mm. I worry about being more public myself because there are times when I'm going to, I mean, this whole show is built around you know, disagreeing with people or, or having thoughtful conversations, trying to find that nuance, which I, I don't know that I could do in video uh, effectively the same way I can in a podcast. Um, I'd be too, mm -hmm. I think I'd polish it too much. And I think it would, I'd, I'd fall into those same traps. How can you thoughtfully critique uh, or offer dissenting feedback to, say, Dr. Mike without it being seen as either you're in some internet beef with People Magazine's Sexiest Doctor Alive, or you don't do it and then you're just another sycophant simp who won't say anything. Like, where's that midpoint and how do you, not you, because clearly you're, you're okay with doing this, but for somebody who is a creator on the internet and doesn't want to make enemies but does want to be honest, how do you go about it? Yeah, this is a really good question, actually. And you say that I, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I, I also self-censor. And I don't like myself for it. You know, I, I um, have frequently, exactly that, not Dr. Mike, but uh, lots of people online. I know that if I try and say something, particularly in their in their comments on, on a post that they've done or on their channel or something, I'm just going to get drowned out by the stands. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not going to help anything. And I might, if I have a bit of a, a rapport with them, I might try and DM them and say, but a lot of the time I just, I know that it's not going to land on receptive ears because I think a lot of these people know exactly that they are wording things in such a way that it's being taken in a certain direction and they're fine with it, you know, and, mm. and I don't think most people really are looking for constructive feedback. So your question was to a sort of newer creator or, or somebody uh, trying to get into that world, how can they do that? And you're absolutely right. I think unless you want to be seen as that kind of annoying hmm. know-it-all who's correcting people. But then even that side of things, even the kind of debunking side has its own tribe as well. So that's why we, you get all the clap emojis and, and just one word, heart, 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 louder for people at the back, this, you know, all that kind of stuff under Instagram posts is because people just want to be part of that group. So they they are just looking at the biggest creators and and they're trying to become their friend and and hey look at my content as well and you have to turn a blind eye and a lot of the time these big influencers and and I'm sort of again sort of thinking of the the Instagram side of things here will say stuff that is bullshit and you either can just ignore it and keep trying to climb the ladder and that's what most people do or you can try and call it out but i don't think that's really going to help if if you are trying to develop your career as a content creator even though obviously that that would be the right thing to do and i think a lot of the time i take the approach where unless 
I'm going to do it on my own terms. Like I'm going to make a video, I'm going to do a Twitter thread or something. I'll just, just, I just can't, I don't have the energy. I, and I think I'm finding that more and more now is just, I just, geez, like, I just don't, can't bring myself to do anything and, and, (laughs) and you just have to ignore it. So that's a terrible situation. And a lot of people who talk about science online, I don't think they really understand. I mean, that's going to, again, sound a bit condescending, but I don't think they really have a great deal of experience with actual science. You know, they are very much of the like, wow, science is amazing kind of camp. But scientific disagreement has always been part and parcel of, of how we do things. We we disagree with each other. We'll completely attack each other's conclusions. But that's fine. That's part of science. But it's become now much more ad hominem. It's become much more personal. So even if I'm not saying anything directly, you know, just today I was I was uh, made the mistake of trying to challenge a gastroenterologist who was rubbishing a big study that's come out in the you know top medical journal, the New England Journal of Medicine, and they were saying it's complete rubbish and it's misleading the way it's been reported and um, everybody should do this thing. And I said, ah, you know, actually, this is not quite right what you've said. And then immediately people are just jumping down my neck and they're not opposing what I'm saying. They're just saying, oh, I bet you're one of those contrarians who just uh, thinks they're right the whole time. You should shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. It's like, where did this come from? You know, like that's the level of discourse. You have to sort of decide what your brand is. And in video, there's kind of like the drama stuff. And if you make a video, it's a takedown video. You can't point out, hey, I disagree with this thing and and here's why, without it being read in a certain way. And I hope that with a show like this, you know, we we talk about other creators all the time on this show, and it's never through a lens of this person is wrong, this person is bad. Sometimes I can disagree with people or I can question, like, is there maybe a better way to do this? But I don't know that in video with just me talking, I could even suggest that maybe we shouldn't all be taking business advice from 20-something millionaire lottery winners who have never run a real business before. That's not me shitting on somebody. That's not me condemning somebody. Mm. I don't think that most of the people who make that kind of content are doing so maliciously. I don't think that it's a an intentional grift or a scam. I'm merely questioning maybe there is more wisdom to be gained before we start imparting wisdom on others. And maybe the system as it exists today overvalidates and overrewards those who even attempt to impart wisdom on others. So we all think that the goal is to get to wisdom town. And so you end up with, and I'll pick on Thomas here, but like Thomas loves to turn everything into a 14 page uh, Twitter novel. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I I love Tom, but I read those and I'm like, dude, calm down. <laughs> like make a blog post, post this somewhere, make this into a video. You got a whole, the whole thing. If you want to say these things, But it's not because Tom is bad or Tom is dumb. It's because that exact thing has been so overused by actual grifters who are just trying to tweet thread, tweet storm, clout hack their way into people's feeds. Something in there will be retweetable and therefore the entire thread is being retweeted. I see that tool used for ill so often that it's hard to parse it as not being for ill when somebody I do know and trust does it. And then I worry in the other direction that there's no good way to criticize the thing without being seen as criticizing the person. Tom's great. One of my best friends in the world. I love the guy to death. 
I'm not criticizing him. And what I said when he was on the show is I see these things. I, I worry about people being lumped in with that for good or for bad or that even doing this sort of thing validates when other people do it. Even if you're not the bad guy, are you accidentally validating other bad guys? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And again, it's it's difficult to, to really know what to suggest. All you can say is, well, I think people are sometimes doing both. I, I think I, I do this. You know, I will say something or, or write something which I believe in. But I'm also doing that, hoping that this is going to be reshared. And again, it comes down to this difficulty being able to, to separate that influencer side and the creator side. And I think as long as you are trying to genuinely offer something useful or you're trying to add some sort of value, then I guess it's out of your control if it's going to get mistaken for the bad actors doing the same kind of thing. Maybe that's the question to ask. Are you actually adding value here? What are you are you doing this just to get engagement? Are you doing this just to get the attention of some big influencer that you want to um, you know become your friend, or are you actually you know trying to add some value? To link this back to sort of creators, you have to just bite your tongue if you want to make it in this world, which is fine. You know, I think that is a perfectly reasonable thing to aspire to. Then you either have to grow a thick skin and maybe realize that it's going to adversely affect growth of your channel or support from, you know, so-and-so, or you have to just accept that you're going to be a clout chaser and kiss ass. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank our guest, Rowan, for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Where can people find you on the internet? What's your channel? What's your, what's, if they all want to follow you on Instagram and see all of your clout, uh, where can they get that? Instagram's where I have the least clout. That's that's just my shitposting <laughs> account. Um, YouTube, uh, I'm Medlife Crisis and obviously Nebula. And uh, Twitter is where I uh, save most of my real sarcasm and um, cynical attacks on dodgy online doctors. Uh, so I'm most active on, on YouTube and Twitter. All of the links for those things will be in the description for this episode. Rowan, thank you. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Dave.